When I was about 14, so 20 years ago or so, I, I remember my mom came back from uh, the store one time, and she said she'd seen this book, a, a parenting book that promised the secrets of parenting. This is the book that you need to know. And she, at the time, they had probably seven, eight kids, something like that. The oldest was in high school, and she said, the thing is, is this woman has a two-year-old and a four-year-old and has now written the book that's supposed to tell me this is how you raise your kids. She was like, I, you know, maybe she does know things that I don't know. Maybe there is something to learn. But it's just hard to listen to somebody that's not really been there telling me, hey, I know the secrets. This was 20 years ago, and at the time, the Internet was kind of brand new. But now that the Internet's kind of full-blown, we see that everywhere. Everybody seems to have the secret. I don't know if you guys are like me. But if you look online for any period of time, there's here's the secrets of parenting. Here's the secrets of weight loss. Not only should you do the keto diet, here's the secrets to the keto diet and the secrets to the secrets that you will only get from me. That kind of a, we live in this world where everybody says, I'm an authority. You need to listen to me. Maybe you've lived in a workplace where there's like the manager that comes in and says, you need to do this. And then the manager's manager comes in and says, you need to do this too. And everybody has this. Like, here's, here's the list of things that you're going to do to do your job well. I feel like we live in a world with so many voices saying, this is all the stuff that you need to know. Just listen to me. Everybody's competing to be the, the voice of authority in our lives. Everybody's competing to say, no, this is the way for you to go. Some people say there's this great fear of missing out. I, if you're like me, you're like, well, it's fear of missing that secret that I need. Well, maybe there is something else that I need to read, another article, another book. Maybe there's one more thing that I have to know if I'm going to be successful at my job, as a husband, as a wife. For me, it's just, well, maybe there's one more book that's going to tell me what I need to know to be successful as a pastor. We live in a world filled with voices saying, here's the way to go, walk in this way. And we, if you're like me, you can be overwhelmed. Too many voices, too many people that seem to know the secrets. And if if you're like me, you kind of have a heart that wants the, I, 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 I want to know. It's not a bad thing. It's, I want to know the right way to go. Where do I pay attention? Who do I listen to? What are we going to do? Well, we're starting today a series for the next four weeks, a series called Unleash. It, it, it's really a, a, a series on the fact that in a world of voices competing for our attention, saying, here's what you need to know. Here's what it's going to take for you to be complete. In that kind of a world, God gives us his word and says, look, this is, the, this is what you need. This is the voice that I want you to listen to. And so we're not only just going to say, oh, okay, we're supposed to listen to God's word, but we're going to be looking at, what does that mean? Like, if we do that, what happens? That's why we call it unleash. What if we actually take God's word for what he says that it is, and then we let it loose to do its job? Go ahead and turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 3. If you've got your Bible, turn there. If you don't have your Bible with you, there's one in the seat in front of you. We'll also have some of the verses on the screen here in a minute. But 2 Timothy is the last letter that Paul wrote. And so it's really important to know what Paul was going through at the time that he, he was writing that letter. It's the last letter that we, we have he wrote. At the time, he was in a Roman prison. It's really the most depressing letter. There's other letters where he's like, yeah, I've been stoned recently, but man, the gospel is going forth. This, things are great. In this one, he's like, here I am in prison, and I'm cold. Can you send me a cloak? And I'm alone. I'd really love to see you. Can you send me something to read 
Can you send me the parchments? Can you send me some paper so I can write some more letters? We have this Paul that's at the end of his life and in despair and struggling, holding on, not really knowing what the future holds. There are some writings outside of the Bible that say that Paul actually got out of prison at that point, goes and does missions in Spain before ultimately being arrested again and being killed in, Spain, in Rome again. But as best we know, this is, the, this is the end of his life. He's in prison at this point. Maybe he goes and does some more missions, but ultimately this is the kind of circumstance that Paul dies in. And so we have, this is his last letter. He's passing it on to his closest disciple. He's passing on, Timothy, I'm about done. My, my, my race is almost over. My story is about done. And so Paul is writing to Timothy to say, hey, Timothy, this is what I want you to know. This is my final charge for you. These are my concerns. Here I am cold and alone. I don't know what the future holds. Timothy, this is what I want you to know. And, and more than that, this is the transition from the, the age of the apostles. The disciples and the ones sent out by Jesus himself are now fading from the scene. Actually, no, they're not fading. They're being killed. And Paul is about to say, okay, what's the kingdom advance going to look like now that the apostles and disciples are gone? Is he going to say, hey, there's a three-step class you need to take? Is he going to say, there's a program, Timothy, that you need? Timothy, you know those secret things that I, I modeled for you. You know that I, I helped you actualize yourself, Timothy. No, this is Paul's great concern and his great concern for what is the church, how is the church going to advance in the age to come without the people that have walked with Jesus and been sent out verbally by Jesus. That's the situation that we find ourselves in. And then 2 Timothy chapter 3, starting in verse 14, Paul says, But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed knowing from whom you have learned it. So I want to stop real quick and I want to focus on this word continue. This word continue is the same thing when Jesus told his disciples, remain in me, continue in me, abide in me. Paul is saying, hey, we're going through a transition. We're going through a transition. And Timothy, what you have to know is you've got to remain in the things that you have learned and believed. Don't let go of those things. There's not new secrets. You need to remain in the things you have learned and believed. What are those things? Verse 14, as you can continue in what you have learned and firmly believed. But verse 15 explains what that is. And how from childhood you have been acquainted or learned the sacred writings, the scriptures. That is what Paul is telling Timothy. You have to continue. Here I am, Timothy. Here's the secret. Continue in what you have learned. And the thing that you have learned is the Holy Scriptures. It is God's Word. Timothy, there is no secret here. If the church is going to advance, if you are not going to waste your life, if you want to know what it is that God wants for you, Timothy, continue in God's Word. And so that's the message to us. It's real simple. There's many voices out there saying, hey, listen here, listen to this, go in this way. And God says to us, continue in God's Word. Maybe you're like, Joe, wow, that's a short message. The service is over now. Let's go home. I expected the pastor to say something like that, but what I want to show you in this passage today is I want to show you three reasons to continue in God's Word from this passage. It's a real simple message from Paul to Timothy and from God to us. Continue in God's Word. Don't let go of it. Hold on to it. Remain in it. Stay there. Plant your life in it. 
And then he gives us three reasons to continue in God's word. Verse 15 says, continue in God's word because it makes us wise for salvation. Verse 15, how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. So here he lays it out, continue in God's word. And he says, what's special about it? It's the thing that's going to make you wise for salvation. I don't know about you, but like I look at my life and I look at the future and I look at my own death and I want to be wise for salvation. I don't want to make a mistake on this step. If, if we screw this up, then everything hangs in the balance. And Paul says, if you want to be wise for salvation or you want somebody else to be wise for salvation, continue in God's word. It said that 20% of people think about death every day. 20% of people think about death every day. We live in a culture where people are filled with anxiety about the future and not knowing what's out there and not knowing what happens when we die. I, I laugh that Douglas Adams, who wrote The uh, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, was an avowed atheist and said, we die and nothing else happens. And said, we go and no, don't remember me, don't do anything. When I die, I'm gone. And now his fans every year celebrate his birthday. He's died many years ago now. And every year, there's this idea that the Bible says God has put eternity in our hearts. God has put eternity in our hearts. And after this comes judgment. And so if we want to be wise for salvation, if you're the one that thinks about death every day and wonders what's out there, what's coming, verse 15 says God's word is the thing that makes us wise for salvation. Not a message that somebody else gives us. Not something somebody else tells us that we should think about. But then he he gives us the content of salvation. Not just, it is able to make you wise for salvation, but then he says, here's the description. What is it? It's faith in Jesus Christ. It's through faith in Jesus Christ. There are messages out there that say, you must go to this church. You must do this series of things. You must not do this series of things. You have to do these rituals. But Paul and God say, no, continue in God's word because it makes us wise for salvation. Salvation comes through faith in Jesus Christ. And you're like, Joe, What does that mean? What are you talking about? The message of the gospel is that God made the world and he made it good. Genesis 1 and 2 say that when God made humans, he said, they're very good. They're very good. But Genesis 3 tells us the story that Adam and Eve and then all of the humans after them say, no, we will not live your way. We will not live in your kingdom. We want to do our own thing. We want our own knowledge of good and evil. We will set our own agenda. And so the Bible says that God cast them out of the garden and said that all people will one day be judged. The Bible is a story of God not just leaving his en- uh, humans as his enemies, but going and coming to rescue us. The Bible says that Jesus lived the life that we should live and died the death that we should die so that everybody who repents of sin and trusts in Christ, that's what this says, faith in Christ, turning away from their own way and turning to Jesus, are actually can know that they are saved. And so... The first reason that we should continue in God's word is because it makes us wise for salvation. And so here is my question for you is, are you continuing in God's word for salvation or trying to find other ways, other ways to rescue you? Or if you look at your own, at your kids' lives and you go, man, I love my kids so much. I knew, I used to work with a woman who was afraid of having kids because she couldn't bear the thought of having kids that would not be saved. And this passage says, if you want children that are wise for salvation, give them God's word. 
Like, there's no, no special secret. There's not curriculums that you should, or schools that you should send them to. It's not Christian school or homeschool or public school. It's not church programs that you can send them to. If you want kids that are wise for salvation, give them God's word. If you have parents that you want them to know Jesus, if you have siblings that you want them to know Jesus, if you have adult children that you want to know Jesus, give them God's word. That's the thing that makes people wise for salvation. If you have a heart for your neighborhood, if you have a heart for your neighborhood, there's, there's a million different training programs you can go out to, but this passage says if you want a neighborhood that's wise for salvation, give them God's word. The second reason that we should continue in God's word, verse 16 tells us continue in God's word because it is God-breathed. Verse 16 says all scripture is breathed out by God. All scripture is breathed out by God. That's, that's the only time that word is used in the Bible. Occasionally it would be used in some Greek, some other Greek myths that I doubt Paul had ever heard of or that he knew. But what was common at the time is to take the word God and fix other words to that for what God's activity in the world. And at this moment, God through Paul says that God's word is God's very breath. Joining the word God with the word spirit, with the word breath, with the word breathing out. And so the call to us is to continue in God's word because it's his very breath. The same breath that gives us life comes to us in this. And so if somebody says, why should we read the Bible? The primary reason is because I want to actually know and feel the breath of God morning after morning. I don't want to go to a church where I hear lots of good ideas, but I don't actually feel God's breath blowing across my life week after week. John Calvin once said, God therefore bestows a gift of singular value when for the instruction of the church he employs not dumb teachers merely, but opens his own sacred mouth. That's why we spend our whole service starting with the reading of God's word, singing songs that come from scripture, focusing heavily on the the reading and preaching of God's word, preaching this thing. Not what somebody thinks is helpful to the people. It's because we want God's very breath. Let me read that quote again. God therefore bestows a gift of singular value when for the instruction of the church he employs not dumb teachers merely but opens his own sacred mouth. But there's a a caution in this. It's easy to think theoretically that God's word is God's very breath. Yes, we know that. We believe that but it's a different thing to function as if it's true. It's one thing to think theoretically, yeah, this is God's word, God's very breath, that's what we believe. But then we turn to so many other different voices as authorities in our lives. But this says that if God's word is God's very breath, then we want to functionally say, where do I need instruction? I want this, I want this. I want it day after day. I want it week after week. I'm not going to settle for the opinions of men or for clever thoughts. I actually want the very words of God. And that's the thing that Satan loves to attack. Genesis 3 is the story of Adam and Eve in the garden and the serpent coming and saying, did God really say? That's what Satan loves to do in your life is to attack that and say, did God really say that? Does it God really mean that? And so over and over in Scripture, we see Satan and the enemies of God saying, did God really say? 
And so God's people are called to cling to it and say, he said it. It doesn't feel true right now. I hear these voices coming in and telling me all of these other things, but the people of God are called to say, no, I'm going to listen to God's voice. I care more for what he has to say than what you have to say, Satan. And so when we functionally begin to believe that all Scripture is God-breathed, not just tools in the toolbox, but actually the very breath of God. And so when your kids come and say, Mom and Dad, why is it you read the Bible? It's because I love the God that breathes and speaks into my life from it. And I, yeah, there's things that I'm supposed to do as a Christian, but this is something that I desperately have to have. And so that's why we talk about, when we talk about family and raising kids in the Lord, we encourage families to read the Bible together, reading story Bibles reading full Bibles, acting the Bible out, not because that's going to make a massive difference in one moment, but we want kids whose daily lives are breathed on by God day after day after day. And the third reason to continue in God's Word is continue in God's Word because it completes God's people. Verse 16 and 17. Verse 16, all Scripture... He's already told us it's breathed out by God. But then he he modifies it another way. All Scripture is profitable or useful for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness so that the man of God may be competent or complete. It's easy to separate profitable or useful from the purpose. Teaching, reproof, for correction. Those are important things. Those are helpful things. But here's what he's, he's pointing us to the fact that all Scripture is profitable so that the man of God may be complete. And so the question for us is, what's going to make us complete? There are messages out there telling us, hey, this is what you need for your life to be complete, for your business to be complete, for your personal life, for your family life, for your ministry to be complete. What's going to make a person complete? And 2 Timothy chapter 3 says that all Scripture is profitable that the man of God may be competent or complete. This is a crisis for us. As there's messages out there telling us so many different things for us to listen to, will we say, okay, God, your word says that your word is enough to make me complete? That doesn't mean that there's not helpful information out there that might help us along the way. That doesn't mean that somebody that's struggling in a specific area doesn't need to see a doctor or a counselor, or some help, but we have to settle this crisis for ourselves. Can I be complete with God's Word? Or do I have to look for other voices to tell me secret things that God withheld? So the call to us is, God, all Scripture is profitable that we may be complete. And then he explains that a little further. Equipped for every good work, not just some good works, every good work. And so if we believe that God called us to join him on mission in Belgium and in the region around Belgium, the question is, what's going to make us equipped to do that? Is it strategies? Is it gifted people? Is it programs? Or is it going to be all Scripture? And after that, then we can come to understand this this description, all Scripture is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. And some people like really like fix on one of those because they love that. 
They love that reproof or that conviction. I love to use Scripture to convict people of things. But what I love about these words is they combine for this image of raising children. We don't correct our children simply for the sake of correcting them. We correct them because we want them to grow up. We want them raised into something as an adult. And he's saying all Scripture does that. It teaches us. It convicts us. It corrects us. And it trains us so that we may be grown up in Christ. Because God's goal is for the man of God to be complete, equipped for every good work. In Brad Wagoner's book, The Shape of Faith to Come, he did some, he did a, a bunch of surveys and research over a period of time in the life of Christians to see what was making a difference of growth in their lives. And he said, this is really basic. This is really basic, but the greatest indicator of somebody growing in Christ is their intake of God's Word. And he said, I'm afraid a lot of churches ignore that and just kind of assume that it's happening when more than any program a person could be a part of, more than any service they could attend, more than any training that they could be a part of, a person who regularly takes in God's Word grows significantly more than any other person. We don't believe it because Brad Wagner found some data that suggested it, but his data is illustrating what this passage says. We can be distracted by all sorts of things. Well, if we just did this, then I, maybe if I did this, maybe if I understood this, maybe if I found my gifting or my personality type. When God's Word says it's His all Scripture that makes the man of God or the person of God complete. And so we've got to reject secrets and say, you know what? God's not withheld something from me. If somebody is out there saying, I have the secret for you to grow in Christ. I have a secret for your church. I have the secret for you. We reject that because God says, I didn't hold anything back. I've got everything that you need to grow in Christ right here. And then we have to adopt God's goal. God's goal is that we be complete and equipped for every good work. God, I don't want to just settle for going through the motions, for doing a few different things, and for using a few different skills. God, I want to be complete. I want to be, I want to be a man of God. I want to be a person of God. God, I want to be equipped for every good work. And more than just adopting God's goal, we also have to adopt God's method. Most of us, if you ask, would say, yeah, I, I want to be complete. I want to be mature. I want to grow in Christ. That's why I'm a part of this church. That's why I'm here in this service today. But God's method is His Word. And so when somebody says, oh, you know those people that know the Bible so well, but they're not formed in Christ-likeness. I just always say, point them to me. I just say, point them to me. Every time they say, oh, you know, there's those people, they read the Bible, but they're not really formed in Christ-likeness. I'm like, I've just never met one. I know people that can quote scriptures, but they also tell me I don't read, really read the Bible very much. Yeah, I, 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 I don't have any time or use to go and be a part of a church. God's method is to take God's Word into our hearts and our mouths and our minds and our families. And so we as a church are called to continue in God's word, adopting his goal and adopting his method. But if you're like me, you lean on everything else. If you're like me, you hear that, but did God really say, and you go running after other messages, other stories, other voices that say, go this way, this is the secret. 
I'm the one that trusts Satan's voice so often. Not continuing in God's Word because I have better strategies and I hear more enticing voices. So where's the good news for people like you and me that hear, oh, I'm supposed to continue in God's Word, but I do so badly. I do so badly. The Bible tells us that Jesus, the very Word of God, it both perfectly embodied it and spoke it. It's, it's not incidental that John 1 says, in the beginning was the Word. That Jesus, the very Word of God, spoke it perfectly, embodied it perfectly in His life when we look at it in the Gospels. And yet, each one of the Gospels ends with the Word of God dying as a lawbreaker with all of the accusations that you and I deserve because we would rejected it for salvation, because we didn't care that it came from God, and because we thought we could be complete in some other way. And so Jesus, the very perfect Word of God, died with those accusations on His head. But then the Bible says that He was raised to life so that all who trust in Him can be delivered from the judgment that He bore in Himself for us. So then this becomes good news for us. It's not a law over us that we can't keep and have not kept and will now judge us. Instead, it becomes a message of grace to us because Jesus kept it for us and is and it promises a hope and a future for you and I. So, how is the church going to advance? How is the kingdom going to advance in the world? How is your life, how is your family going to advance? What's God's method for your marriage? 2 Timothy 3 says, continue in God's word. Let's pray. God, we love you. We thank you that you have given us your word and you have delivered us from the judgment that we deserve. In Jesus' name, amen.